Welcome to the Word Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Domenica Pilo. I'm an author, copy editor, and book coach. Each week on this podcast, I'll share tips, tricks, and treats for all things storytelling. Join the coven and learn how to put your best quill forward and become a magical word crafter. Hello, Magical Word Crafters, and welcome back to another episode of the Word Witch Podcast. I can't wait to talk to you today about dialogue. This was requested via Instagram, and I am just so excited to talk about dialogue because I love writing dialogue. Um, I I feel like it's one of my strong suits, and I feel like most of my... um, stories come out pretty dialogue heavy. Um, There's a lot of opinions on the ratio of dialogue to narration, but we'll get into all of that. Um, So yeah, let's dive into the episode. So dialogue is something that brings characters together to reveal their relationships, their personalities, emotions, and it helps to drive the plot forward. So if you think of it like being a human being, right, we tend to really gravitate toward relationships and, you know, speaking with our friends and our family. And we're very like tribal kind of creatures. Um, You know, we thrive in environments of community. So it's only natural that when we go to um, read or watch TV shows or movies, the main thing is the dialogue. Um, It's the action, it's what's happening. Um, And it's what kind of creates, I guess, um, interest. Yeah, it creates interest in the story because Again, that emotional connection that we have with those characters. Um, I mean, when we're gossiping, and that's not something that um, we maybe should be doing, but you know, it happens. Um, what is it that you're talking about? Well, you're talking about what one person said and what one person did and what the person, the other person's reaction was to that. So you're really talking about dialogue, something that happened between two or more people. And that's really what dialogue is in fiction. Um, It establishes an emotional connection with the reader because then the reader gets to know the character through their interactions with other characters, right? So, I mean, we've all been in that experience where you have a friend and they're like, oh, you have to meet my one friend. You're going to love them. They're X, Y, and Z. This is how, you know, you guys could would um things in common you guys have and so on and so forth and you kind of get the sense of what that other person is like but you always know in your mind it's not really that you're you're given that information through the lens of that person who's describing them and you know that you're going to make your own judgment when you meet that person and have a conversation with that person so very much is true um, in in fiction and and in, in dialogue. So I feel like in order to have 
effective dialogue. Your characters need to have very distinct voices. And there's so many ways to create a really strong character voice. Um, there's somebody that I came across recently who I think has just really made dialogue super... I don't want to say easy because it's actually a lot of work, <laughs> but um, has come up with the system of how to make dialogue um, fit your character's voice. Um, and his name is, or he goes by um, the Dialogue Doctor. And so he has this sheet on his website and you can download it for free. I'll link it below um, in the show notes. He has this basic character voice sheet where you fill in a bunch of information about your character to establish a really strong sense of who that character is and what they sound like so that you can be really consistent throughout your story and bring that character to life and to make them not flat and to, to make sure that each individual character has their own specific personalities um, and character voice and and personality and voice are two very different things um, so I want to make that really clear and he he even makes it really clear in his character sheet that or his um, character voice sheet that there's like there's a section just for their personality and a section for their voice and to make that distinction um, I'll give you some examples but so basically what's on the sheet is obviously you write the character's name whether it's your main character um, a side character the villain whoever it is um, what their role is their background their family their place and culture their wounds um, which would be like what what maybe are their weaknesses what what about them maybe something happened to them that made them this way that made them I don't know maybe have a chip on their shoulder or um you know have have some sort of personality type that would make them maybe really explosive or um combative something like that um their personality so what actual personality traits does your character have whether that's um Let's, let's like make up a character. So let's just say this person, this character is lazy, um, very glass half empty, lack of optimism. Uh, so that's personality traits. So they're um, maybe not very motivated. And so that would make their voice sound how? Well, somebody who's lazy is probably really indecisive. So they're, they're, voice is going to sound kind of lofty and unsure they're going to have um lots of like pointless dialogue a lot of meandering um just very maybe even kind of short and unsure of what they're saying so that would be more of what a voice sounds like um let's try and come up with another character so all right, let's just say you have a character who is um, 
very damaged because they were maybe bullied a lot in school and so it kind of made their personality very defensive in a lot of ways and whenever somebody says anything they immediately take offense to it and they're they take things personally um their voice might be very sharp and very they might have very short dialogue and be really aggressive at times because they feel like they're being attacked so that's kind of the, the distinctions between um, personality and what their voice actually sounds like and I feel like there's a good way to you to kind of like incorporate this by looking at the people in your own life okay so take somebody who maybe one of your characters emulates a little bit from your own life and think of how that person speaks what is their overall mood what do their vocabulary what's their vocabulary like what do do they sound like um and try and go off of that something that i also really like to do when i'm developing characters is give them almost a complete birth chart um like astrological birth chart and i like not to go into too much detail with it but you know just the three major um signs which are moon sun and rising uh no yeah moon sun and rising so so your sun is the one sign that most people know about themselves it's the position of the sun at the time of your birth um so for me i'm a capricorn i was born on january 19th and so the sun was in capricorn at the time of my birth your moon is the sign that rules your emotions and it's kind of that part of you that is a little bit hidden from the world it's the person that you see yourself as so if you look up you know the personality traits of whatever your moon sign is you're probably going to resonate with the fact that those are hidden traits that you tend not to share with the world a whole lot Um, And then your rising sign or ascending sign, those two words are used interchangeably, is what you project out into the world. So it's how the world sees you. It's the mask that you put on. Um, So just to give you a little bit of context, um, my son is in Capricorn. So my overall baseline is um, hardworking, dedicated to career and... um, a little bit stern and uh, analytic at times, um, a little bit rigid, I guess you could say. My moon sign, so the sign that I kind of hide from the world, that doesn't really, um, it rules my emotions, would be Scorpio. Um, and if you know anything about Scorpios, they tend to be very, uh, like, sort of dark and mysterious. Um, and they typically are into the occult, which I mean, hello. So, and the witch side of me is very much hidden from, especially my family and friends. I'm not out of the broom closet, as they say, but yeah. So, and then your, my rising sign, my ascending sign is um, Pisces. So very emotional, very loving and caring and compassionate. 
and very calming. You know, they're a water sign and they're arguably one of the most emotional water signs. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe cancerous. Anyway, um, so I feel like the image that a lot of people associate with with me is compassion and um, peace. I get that a lot. A lot of people tell me that when they're around me, they feel at peace. So that's a way to kind of give your character some personality and to give them roundness. Okay, so on the flip side of my Capricorn being very rigid and um, stern, I can also portray an image of being very watery and emotional and compassionate. So you could set up issues or obstacles for your characters that show those personality types and within dialogue. Um, so the dialogue doctor also has this sort of modulation of character voice, which basically means how a character speaks to other individual characters, right? So you don't speak to your mom the same way you speak to your significant other and you don't speak to them the same way you speak to um, maybe a person on the phone who you're making a doctor appointment with. Um, those are all very distinct modulations, quote unquote, of your voice. So what modulation bas basically means is the inflection, the tone, the cadence, um, and yeah, the pacing of your your voice dependent upon who you're speaking to. So this is going to be really important for your character's interactions. You don't want your character to be at their baseline modulation with whoever they're speaking to. You need their modulation to change depending upon who they're speaking to. Um, so to bring, to bring this full circle and to connect this to star signs, what you can do is basically use the sun sign for a particular modulation. So maybe, um, let's just keep going off of my own star signs. Um, so I'm a Capricorn, so maybe I speak to my, my team. Like if I'm, say my character is an employer of some sort, maybe she speaks to her team very much in a Capricorn-like way. But then on the other side, when she's with her significant other, she's very much in her Pisces energy. And she's really, her modulation change, changes depending upon, um, you know, being in that situation with her lover and she's a little bit more soft and and um, loving and, and caring. Uh, so that's kind of like a full circle way that you could use star signs because, you know, I'm a witch, I love astrology, I use tarot to help me develop my characters. Um, so that's just another way to develop character voice. So the dialogue doctor also has um, in his character sheet, or character voice sheet, um, your character's baseline modulation, which I just spoke about a little bit. So it's, it's pretty much what your character is like at all times, like, say it's your main character. When you're in your main character's head, 
and they're not talking to anyone really they're they're more or less talking to the audience their baseline modulation is going to be how they normally are throughout maybe the first half of the book before um, their arc and then their baseline obviously is going to change once they hit their peak so in the base baseline modulation character sheet um, you've got the description of your character um, the words that they use maybe vocabulary words that are common for them body language which is so important and I'll get into that a little bit later but body language cadence which just basically means rhythm and inflection um, so the rhythm at which they speak basically uh, which is a little bit difficult but if you think of of cadence as in like maybe poetry um, you know when you read poetries or poetry or if you read plays there's a certain cadence um, and then there's pacing so how quickly are they speaking or how slowly um, and then you get a bunch of different modulations along with that so you've got your baseline modulation and then other modulations that aren't labeled that you can use to basically set up each one depending upon which character the character voice sheet is speaking to. Does that make sense? So if you're writing this out for your main character, you'd write out their baseline and then there's other sheets in there where you can have um, modulations based on when they're talking to their mom, whether they're talking to their best friend, um, their significant other, the villain, you know, whoever. Um, so it takes a long time to do all of these. It's a little bit time consuming, but it's worth it. It's so worth it because you end up going into your book with a very clear vision of who your character is and what they sound like so that each dialogue scene is very tight and you might not have to go back later and fix too much. Um, I wish I would have learned this a little bit sooner because I very much write in a way where I know my character's voice is going to be flat. That's just like a given when I go into um, pretty much any story. But once I start to revise, I start to go off of the character's voice at the end that they developed over time and bring it back to the beginning of the story and basically redraft with that voice in mind. Now doing it this way with a character voice sheet is so much easier because right out of the gate you you already know what your character sounds like, right? So I want to read a little bit of dialogue between two characters to give you a sense of what I mean by modulation. Um, so spoiler alert, stop listening to this right now if you haven't read The Hunger Games because I'm going to read some excerpts from Mockingjay. Alright, so at this point in the book, um, Peta has already tried to choke Katniss um, and this is the second time that they're meeting 
face-to-face um, in the hospital. So pay attention to how they speak to each other. This is going to be between Katniss and Peeta. Um, listen to how they speak to each other before in the, in the first excerpt and then in the second. Okay. I've just reached the door when his voice stops me. Katniss, I remember about the bread. The bread, our moment of real connection before the Hunger Games. They showed you the tape of me talking about it, I say. No. Is there a tape of you talking about it? Why didn't the Capitol use it against me? He asks. I made it the day you were rescued, I answer. The pain in my chest wraps around my ribs like a vice. The dancing was a mistake. So what do you remember? You in the rain, he says softly. Digging in our trash bins. Burning the bread. My mother hitting me. Taking the bread out for the pig but then giving it to you instead. That's it. That's what happened, I say. The next day, after school, I wanted to thank you, but I didn't know how. We were outside at the end of the day. I tried to catch your eye. You looked away. And then, for some reason, I think you picked a dandelion. I nod. He does remember. I have never spoken about that moment aloud. I must have loved you a lot. You did. My voice catches and I pretend to cough. And did you love me? He asks. I keep my eyes on the tiled floor. Everyone says I did. Everyone that's why snow everyone says that's why snow had you tortured. To break me. That's not an answer, he tells me. I don't know what to think when they show me some of the tapes. In that first arena, it looked like you tried to kill me with those tracker jackers. I was trying to kill all of you, I say. You had me treed. Later, there's lots of kissing. Didn't seem very genuine on your part. Did you like kissing me, he asks. Sometimes, I admit, you know people are watching us now. Okay, so in that scene, they're both very short with each other. They are unsure of how the other is going to react. So their cadence is very dry. It's very short and not a whole lot of, um, not a whole lot of rhythm to it. There's not... A ton of warmth in there it's very cold so that is a little bit different than the way they speak to each other in the scene where they're in the sewer and they're just speaking to each other um, I think it's nighttime and um, most of the people are sleeping um, so okay when my eyes fall on Peta, whose head rests by my feet, I see he's awake. I wish I could read what's going on in his mind, that I could go in and untangle the mess of lies. Then I settle for something I can accomplish. Have you eaten? I ask. A slight shake of his head indicates he hasn't. I open a can of chicken and rice soup and hand it to him, keeping the lid in, the, in case he tries to slit his wrist with it or something. He sits up and tilts the can, chugging it back, chugging back the soup without really bothering to chew it. The bottom of the can reflects the light, lights from the machines. And I remember something that's been itching at the back of my mind since yesterday. Peta, when you asked about what happened to Darius and Lavinia, and Boggs told you it was real, you said you thought so. Because there was nothing shiny about it. What did you mean? Oh, I don't know exactly how to explain it, he tells me. In the beginning, everything was just complete confusion. 
Now I can sort certain things out. I think there's a pattern emerging. The memories they altered with the Tracker Jacker Venom have this strange quality about them. Like they're too intense or the images aren't stable. You remember what it was like when we were stung? Trees shattered. There were giant color colored butterflies. I fell in a pit of orange bubbles. I think about it. Shiny orange bubbles. Right. But nothing about Darius or Lavinia was like that. I don't think they were giving me any venom yet, he says. Well, that's good, isn't it? I ask. If you can separate the two, then you can figure out what's true. Yes. And if I could grow wings, I could fly. Only people can't grow wings, he says. Real or not real. Real, I say. But people don't need wings to survive. Mockingjays do. He finishes the soup and returns the can to me. Okay, so in that scene, though it's not much better, they are starting to open up to each other and their words aren't as short. They're telling stories to each other that are much more like vivid and in-depth, whereas before they were being super short with each other, their cadence was pretty cold and non-rhythmic, um, whereas in that scene they have a little bit more warmth, there's a little bit more rhythm to what they're saying, and you know, their their dialogue is a little bit quicker. So <clears throat> another thing I think you can do in order to develop a really strong character voice is to put yourself, and I know it's hard, but I feel like the best characters that I create are ones who I can fully embody while I'm writing them. So I'll put myself in the scene um, and typically I like to put on some like meditative music or something to, to get my mind in the right flow. And I'll completely immerse myself in this person's body. Um, I'll, I'll visualize the clothes that they're wearing and I'll sort of embody all of the wounds and all of the pain that that character is feeling, all of the history that went along with that character. And then I'll write from a place that is very much from the mind of that character. I know that sounds weird like to think of characters having their own minds and their own feelings and stuff like that, but I think it really humanizes them and it makes it so much easier to write their dialogue and to write them from their full perspective. So character voice, like I said, is super important when it comes to writing effective dialogue. You could almost pick out sentences and not have the character's dialogue tag with it and know exactly who said it. That I think is super strong um, character development. and. I think it's something that um, we should all be striving to achieve. Okay, so we have character voice. Let's move on to actually writing dialogue, okay? So what dialogue offers is a lot of white space. And if you don't know what white space means or if like that term is unfamiliar to you, it's the amount of white that you see on a page or in a section of a page in a book. 
or on a screen, whether you like to read ebook or physical copy. Um, so the white space gives your reader a mental break, which in dialogue, you typically don't have huge blocks of dialogue, unless it's a little bit more of like a soliloquy, so, so, wait, why can I, <laughs> soliloquy, um, where they're maybe given a speech or, you know, they're explaining something in a lot of detail. You're not going to have huge blocks of text. Whereas in narration, you typically do have really long blocks of text and there's not a whole lot of white space. So dialogue really gives your reader a place to kind of relax a little bit. Um, and honestly, I don't think that there is a right or wrong answer to how much dialogue you should have in your story. I think it depends story by story and maybe even genre by genre. Um, you know, I think finding a good balance for your story, whether if you're writing, let's say, suspense or romance, those types of things might have a whole lot more dialogue than, say, literary fiction does. And reason being because in romance, or even in suspense, you are showing the story through the interactions of your main character, basically. So if it's a romance, obviously you want your main character and their love interest to be interacting with each other so that you start to develop their relationship and you start to establish those, those um, emotional connections between the two characters and between your characters and your reader. And in suspense, I mean, you're usually, there's a whole lot of dialogue with the police and with, um, you know, maybe media uh, and that sort of thing. With literary fiction, I feel like there's a lot more internal dialogue and there's a lot more being in the headspace of the main character. So there might not be as much um, dialogue as in other genres. And it's funny because I actually, I found out about myself that I love to read dialogue when I was reading The Scarlet Letter. Um, and I found myself, and I don't know if it's because it was written in a time where English was so very different than it is now. It was very dense and hard and I had to pull out the dictionary a whole lot. <laughs> so I don't know if it was because of that or if it was just because I preferred to read dialogue. And if you've read The Scarlet Letter, you know there's not a whole lot of dialogue in there. Um, you're, you're mostly in the head of the main character and it's super dense, not a lot of white space. I, I'm the type of person who reads basically um, at, from the start of one chapter to the end of another chapter. I'll give myself a break and then I'll move on to another chapter. In Scarlet Letter, I had to break in between scenes because I just was so tired mentally that I just needed a break. Um, so all of that to say, I feel like the more dialogue you have, the better. Um, but you also don't want to write a screenplay, you know, because it 
you wanted to be a screenwriter, that's what you would be doing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with screenwriting. I'm actually trying to write a screenplay um, right now. And I love it because of how much dialogue there is. <laughs> um, but just know the two distinctions um, and find a good balance for your particular story. So within fiction, you typically have summary versus scenes. And summary is quote unquote telling the reader what is happening or what has happened. It's a summarization of something that happened or something that is happening. Whereas a scene is showing with um, action and dialogue, um, scenes are the primary means of showing. So in a scene, you're going to use a lot of verbs to describe the scene um, and basically show the mood and the setting of the scene. Whereas a summary is basically like X, Y, and Z happened. Um, and both can be effective. And, you know, there is that argument showing versus telling. You know, you should always show and never tell. Um, but to an extent, I do disagree with that. I think you should be primarily showing through dialogue and action scenes and things like that. And, and dialogue is the primary means of showing because that way you kind of, what's the word? You, you go around that telling by giving descriptions and giving dialogue of what is happening. And there's two different ways that you can show the action that's happening within the dialogue, and I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, basically, summary is the telling of the story, and scenes are the showing of the story. So when we're talking about dialogue and how the dialogue is um, portraying the mood and the setting, so you either have dialogue beats or you have dialogue tags. And a dialogue beat is going to be something that comes with a period or um, some other punctuation that is um, terminal. So let's just say, let me see if I can find one in the Mockingjay. Okay, I actually struggled a little bit to find dialogue beats <laughs> in Mockingjay. But anyway, here we go. Who knows? I'm mentally disoriented. I hold up my wrist to show my medical bracelet and realize it's gone. Okay, so basically a beat is an action that takes place after the dialogue to portray mood setting and to show you who was the person who just spoke without saying, I said, they said, she replied, she asked. That is a dialogue tag. So in the line before that, um, it says, there's a meeting in command. Disregard your current schedule, comma, he says. So dialogue tags, and there's a whole controversy on whether you should be using tags or beats. And most people in modern um, writing prefer that you use or say that the, pri the preferred method is dialogue beats. And I think dialogue beats are great and personally I use I tend to use them more than dialogue tags and 
I feel like the whole reason that this debate has come up is because of audiobooks and the fact that sometimes in books that have a lot of dialogue tags, it could get a little bit redundant hearing I said, he said, she said, they said, I asked, she asked, she exclaimed. And, you know, sometimes you just need those tags because the dialogue might be getting pretty lengthy and there's just no more action to show and it's just a conversation between people. And I think that's okay. And um, Stephen King actually says that one of the best ways to to do that is just by simply using he said, she said. And I, I don't think that you should do that for your entire novel, but I do think that in certain scenes, when you have a long bit of dialogue, having dialogue beats after every line can also get really dense. Like it, it can also create almost a narration and end up doing the opposite of what you're trying to do with dialogue. Um, but I do think in the very beginning of a dialogue scene, di dialogue beats are great. Afterwards, you could totally use dialogue tags and don't feel pressured into trying to get your entire page of dialogue or pages with dialogue beats instead of tags. Also, another option is that after you've established who is speaking when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you can completely opt out of using tags or beats for the rest of the scene. Um, your character voice will make it obvious who's speaking and the dialogue beats and tags that you've used at the very beginning of the dialogue will establish who's speaking when because the setup of, of a book, um, I mean, everybody's read a book, right? So <laughs> you know that dialogue um, are on separate lines. So each line is a new person. So as long as you're setting up or you're formatting your book to reflect each dialogue line is a new person speaking, as long as there's only two people speaking, you really don't need dialogue tags or beats. But like I said, it is helpful and it's a good thing to put those at the beginning of the dialogue. So when should you write dialogue? So dialogue should be written at moments of great significance, plot advancement, character development, extreme drama. Readers want to see the action and experience the drama unfold. So those moments where there's, you know, a conflict or um, an obstacle to overcome, that's the time you want to use dialogue. You want to show versus tell. And in moments where you're telling instead of showing, I feel like it's a good idea instead of, let's just say, in your novel, there's a conflict that happens and there's dialogue and action and all of that. And then in another scene, your main character is explaining to somebody who wasn't there what had happened. You can use summary um, or telling rather than showing because obviously you're not going to go into 
really great detail explaining a scene that had already happened. So yeah, so use dialogue in order to advance the plot, to develop your characters, and to show extreme drama. Um, and sometimes scenes can alternate between, um, between dialogue and summary. So that kind of goes along with beats a little bit. So you'll have your, your line of dialogue and then the beat or the action that happens after, and then maybe like a few lines describing other things that are happening, um, within the story. There's an example in the Gotham Writers Workshop writing fiction book that I'm going to share with you in just a second. Basically, um, this scene is from Charles Baxter's Griffin. Um, and this particular piece of dialogue shows a scene happening, or this particular scene shows dialogue and then a summary. Um, and I think it's done really well. And I think you can also implement this type of summary within your dialogue scenes. Okay, so it goes. You told me, I shouted at him. She was just kidding. You shouldn't have, he shouted back. We were supposed to be doing arithmetic. You just, she just scared you, I said. You're a chicken. You're a chicken, Wayne. You are. Scared of a little card, I sing-songed. Wayne fell at me, his two fists hammering down on my nose. I gave him a good one in the stomach, and then I tried for his head. Aiming my fist, I saw that he was crying. I slugged him. So right there you had an exchange between two characters and then a summary of what happened following that dialogue. So t in order to kind of shorten a scene, um, and, and not drag it out in such a way that you're using really, really long um, t uh, narration or blocks of narration, you could use some summary within that dialogue and still be really effective. All right, so we're at 41-ish minutes. I still have a lot to talk about <laughs> and I don't wanna tire you guys out. Um, so I'm going to stop it here and pick up with another episode, a dialogue part two, um, next week. So tune in and subscribe to my podcast and also ring the bell so that you're notified when the next episode comes out. Also, please rate and review on whatever platform you are listening to me on. It really helps other word crafters discover me and benefit from this information. So yeah. Oh, also, I want to let you guys know, if you haven't heard, I started a society for word crafters, aka authors, if you are just tuning in and you don't know what the heck a word crafter is. <laughs> it's just a word I made up for authors. Um, so you can head over, the link will be in the show notes. It's called the Ink and Quill Society, and it's a free society that I will be posting some free material, um, some PDFs that you can print out and use to help you with your writing. Um, yeah. So tap the link in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. Happy work crafting. 
Hello, Magical Word Crafter. Do you have an idea for an episode, a topic you want me to discuss, or do you think you'd be a perfect fit for a guest interview? Then email us at hello at wordwitchcc.com and in the subject line, write podcast so I can respond to you quickly. Thanks. Happy crafting. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review. It really helps other magical word crafters like yourself find the podcast and benefit from the content. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to hello at wordwitchcc.com for a free thank you gift. Happy wordcrafting!